Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Simulation. Simulation. Calm down, everyone. It's simulation. That's the nothing personal word of the day. When there's no sports, it becomes simulation time. People are actually spending time during quarantine. I love this. They've made up their own NCAA bracket, so they've got 64 teams going at it. They're simulating. MLB, the games go on, simulated. NBA, NHL, we actually found a really cheap way to have a season. You can just simulate it all. I find it to be one of the most interesting things that's happening because simulations were used used to be used for odds purposes. It would be used for gambling. We've simulated the MLB season 10,000 times, and in 2,000 of the simulations, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series. Therefore, the odds of the Dodgers winning the World Series are 20%. Therefore, we are going to pay 2 to 1, 4 to 1, right? I mean, just the math. It's just math. Explain to me exactly how you're coming up with creative things to do during the quarantine. Nothing personal. We're giving you 45 minutes. We'll keep doing that. But people want sports so badly. We're going to give you some sports in this nothing personal. It's pretty interesting to me, actually, and I think will be funny to you. But the simulations, how about reading or doing puzzles or looking at past classic games that actually did happen? I love that there's stations like they're doing every, in here in Miami, they're showing every heat victory of last season or this season or whichever season. How great is it to watch a game when you know for a fact that your team's going to win? That's not a simulation. That's an actualization of a self-visualization of a realization. All right. We got to talk Tom Brady. I mean, is anyone sick of talking about Tom Brady? We've talked about him a thousand times. He certainly knows how to get himself attention. Yesterday, we covered on Nothing Personal that he was not returning to the Patriots. And I told you here, you never announce you're not returning to a team unless you have a done deal with another team. Ovs. Do I sound like a millennial? Because I don't want to be boomer removed. Obvs. Of course he had a deal. Now we're reporting, everyone's reporting, the world has reported, except for Tom Brady, of course, because you can bet your bottom dollar that Tom Brady will release the fact through his own social media that he's made a decision to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But when we need content and simulations just won't do, the report that Tom Brady is going to the Bucks is enough to bring the sports world to its knees. People are in mourning while in quarantine. How is it possible that Tom Brady would want to wear a different uniform than the New England Patriots uniform? Tom Brady's going to Tampa? Giselle was okay with Tampa? Why wouldn't she want to be in L.A. with the Chargers? Tampa? Oh, it's the same time zone as the East Coast where family is. Every 
thing that you've read about Tom Brady and his decision-making is all wrong. It was a very simple decision for Tom. And I can't wait for him to tell you that decision. $30 million. I just put my pinky to my growing, burgeoning mustache for the ML Beer Challenge to pretend I was Austin Powers' Dr. Evil. Billion. Or did he say million? Tom Brady couldn't get 30 million. What was it, Coca? It Million or billion? Tom, so, so Coca, this is exactly Coca's sort of top movies. You've got Bad Boys 3. You've got Fast and the Furious 14, and you've got Austin Powers. So he knew that it was million, which, of course, now is not even the size of a bailout for a corner, corner restaurant. So Tom Brady is giving this offer. The way it worked for him, he did an equation. I want to make as much money as I can in the years I have left. And right now, there are teams who still believe that I can perform on the field. So he went around and he got a deal from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We still don't know whether it's one or two years. We know, we think it's $30 million a year. I'm going to say he's not going anywhere for $30 million for one year because if he does sign a one-year deal with the Bucks for $30 million, I would say to you that Robert Kraft has a small problem because Robert Kraft has been talking. He's the owner of the New England Patriots, and we've said to you that dealing with aging superstars is brutal, and make no mistake about it, Tom Brady is an aging superstar. We had an anchor here at CBS Sports HQ. His name is Jeremy St. Louis, giving us stats that since Tom Brady turned 35, he's thrown more touchdown passes than somebody major had in his whole career. I can't remember who because I stopped listening because he's 43. So, of course, he's been good. Great. He's the GOAT. But going forward is the question. Robert Kraft said, we wanted him here. Robert Kraft said, he's my son. We talked about it yesterday. You know that. My question for you today is, what if Tom Brady goes public saying, hey, I signed with the Bucks one year, $30 million? Yikes. Robert Kraft would then say, when asked, hey, did you not offer Tom Brady $31 million? Would you not have offered him 15 and a half a year for two years to come back for the Patriots? You would have had plenty of cap space, develop a quarterback, let Tom Brady leave as a Patriot, which is what you claimed you wanted. Not going to happen. 60 million over two, there's no way the Patriots could top that. They're not going to go a Teddy Bridgewater contract and tie up 20 million a year or 21 million a year to beat that for three years. Bridgewater did the 60 million three year deal with the Panthers. It's just not going to work that way. So Tom Brady, with all the suspense, goes to a team that it's hard to imagine for people except me. If you're in the business long enough, what do you mean it's hard to imagine Tom Brady in a Buccaneers uniform? Who cares? It's like imagining Michael Jordan in a Wizards uniform. Does that bother you? Does it bother you having Shaquille O'Neal in a, what was the third team Shaquille O'Neal played for? A Suns uniform? That's value added, Coca. Thank you. Can you imagine Shaquille O'Neal in a Suns uniform? I can't even remember Shaquille O'Neal in a Suns uniform. He's a Laker and he's a Heat. Who cares? Tom Brady, for him to make a memory in Tampa, it doesn't matter 10 years from now that he did this. No one will care. Now, if he takes Tampa to a Super Bowl and they win a Super Bowl or even get to a Super Bowl, 
which, by the way, this year happens to be in Tampa, which would make the first time ever that the host city would host the host team in a Super Bowl. The Dolphins thought they could do it last year. They came totally close. They were like, um, one, two, three, four, um, five. They were eight games away from hosting the Super Bowl Pro Player Stadium, hosting the Dolphins in the Super Bowl last year instead of the Chiefs. So I return to Tom Brady, and I leave you with this thought. Before you're upset that you're New England, and I heard, by the way, did you hear this today? I liked it. Boston is very sad. They lost Mookie Betts, and they lost Tom Brady all in a 30-day period or 35-day period. What a terrible time with the quarantine, with the delay of the Boston Marathon. This is a nightmare for Bostonians. This is approximately, oh, and by the way, the Bruins were in first place when the NHL season was suspended and the Celtics were a clear playoff team and a force to finish below the Bucks in the Western Conference, certainly not win a title. So Bostonians are all sad and it makes me laugh. Bostonians, you're sad. Do you remember about a year ago when you were saying that a child who's been alive for 18 months has never not had a world champion in his or her life? Or a child who's now 17 has had how 18 years? How many is it, Coca? It's a whole bunch of... Ch- Deb says 18 years for what? We have got a technical director. We have a producer. We have graphics people. They're sitting, they're sitting six feet apart. But what I'm hearing is the stat is in the last 18 years, the Boston area has had one championship per year. That can't be. One championship every year, or they've had 18 in 18 years. Whatever the stat is, I, we know the Patriots have six of them. We know the Red Sox have, God, they must have, at, they won in 04 after we did in 03. Then they won again in 18, and they won two in the middle. They've got four. The Red Sox, four, that's 10. And then the Celtics won a couple. And then the Bruins, I don't think it's 18, but it's not far off. The point is, feel sorry for Boston. I grew up a New York fan. Talk to me. I've had, let me think, let me count the New York championships. I grew up in New York from 19 until 2000 is when I was in New York growing up. And the championships, wait, I'm going to think of it. The Yankees won in 19, we were just doing this with Tully off screen. The Yankees won in the late 70s. Wait, let me think about it again. And then they won in 96, 98, 99, 2000, and 2009. That's five for the Yankees. The Knicks won, let me think, in 1970 and 73. All right, that was cool. That's seven. The Rangers won in 1994. That's eight. The Jets, hold on, I think the Jets won under Sam Darnold. No, they may not have won a Super Bowl. Did they win one under Rich Kotite that when he coached the Jets? I can't remember. So that's eight. Then we go to the Giants, who have won two Super Bowls plus two with Eli, four. That's 12. That's 12 in 50 years. And they have 12 and 18. I don't feel badly for Boston. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. 
Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think there'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So I got to So you want to talk to Samson question that was about this. So you want to talk to Samson. So here's how it goes. I still love this concept because people are, now that we're all quarantined and trying to figure out what to do, you're all following and uh, David P. Samson, you're getting into my DMs and asking me good questions. Can you please explain the impact on the franchise value of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers value, the impact on the value of the franchise by signing Tom Brady? And then, if you have time, can you talk about the impact of TB12 brand by signing with the Bucs? I'm going to take the second one first. It's going to go faster. TB12. Tom Brady 12. Do you think Tom Brady will continue to wear number 12 on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Do you think that whatever player is currently wearing 12 is going to give 12 away? Do you know that I'm recording this and it was 2.12 and 12 seconds when I said TB12 because I have a huge clock in front of me? That was bizarre because we didn't plan out that that would happen. Who wears 12 now? It's a player for the Buccaneers named Chris Cogwin. Godwin? What position does Chris Godwin play? Wide receiver? I'll bet you a dollar that Tom Brady will give him a watch. We did this when we had new players come in. This is actually great. They would come to me and they would say, hey, um, what's the going rate for this number? So the question would be, well, who's wearing it or what's the story? We had Logan Morrison, who was a, uh, a really good prospect with us. Excuse me. That was okay. I'm okay. Logan Morrison was a big-time prospect. He wanted to wear number five. It represented his father who had passed away. Uh, he, it's just his number. And the Marlins had retired number five in honor of their first-team president named Carl Barger, uh, who died before actually the Marlins could even play a game. He was the only retired number that the Marlins had. We decided, and this was a decision that was very controversial. I had a vehement disagreement with our owner about this. Uh, Logan and I had a fight with Logan Morrison. There's nothing worse when you're the president of a team and people step on your head and go straight to the owner. It is so unethical in your office. When you've got something to deal with, you go to your boss. You respect the chain of command. 
The biggest issue I had at points with the Marlins were people who didn't respect the chain of command. People who for, would forego going to the general manager and go right to me, and I would send them right back. Or people would go right to the owner and forego the general manager. That is not appropriate, and what people don't understand is the owner, if you go to the owner about something, and let's make it, let's, let's talk about exactly what happened. Logan Morrison goes to the owner of the team and says, I, wanna, I want number five. So the owner says, well, unretire number five. They come to an agreement. Do you think the owner just does that by himself? No owner can actually do that by him or herself. They've got to go. He or she has to go to the president who has to go to the stadium operations people, the baseball operations people. We got to remove the plaque, remove the flag. We have to change the media guide. So we have to speak to the PR people. We have to make a media announcement when Logan Morrison shows up wearing number five and the media says, wait a minute, there's never been a number five. So it's not like this is going to be a secret. So did Logan think, and I've spoken to Logan about this, we actually were texting, I call him Logie. I'm just kidding, that's the Tommy. If, you, if you're listening every day, you got that joke. If you're not, thank you for this being your first show. Download, subscribe, spread the word, give it five stars. When you review it, please ask a question too, and I'll answer during an end of month pod, which is coming in a couple weeks, the March pod. The January and February ones were pretty cool. So Logie, I said to him, well, how could you do that? You went right to Jeffrey, that was the owner, to talk about this retirement. When you and I have visited troops overseas, you and I are so close, why would you not go to me? And his answer was very simple, because you would have said no. You're goddamn right I would have, Logan. There's no way we're unretiring Carl Barger's number so you can wear five. I respect why you want it, it's a retired number. And this doesn't just happen with retired numbers. People disrespect the chain of command all the time in every company. It is not the way to get ahead. Trust me. So, TB12. Chris, I forgot his name already, the wide receiver, Godwin. Chris Godwin will absolutely give up his jersey. Then we go to, I got off track a little bit on Tom, on uh, Logan Morrison and how that went. The reality is when, it, when we trade for a player and that player wants a number that already exists, if it's a coach, it's worth a crappy watch. If it's a young player, it's worth a good watch. If it's a veteran player, it can be anywhere up to a car. That is how the trades work. A coach will take a watch worth a grand. A rookie player will take a watch worth about five grand. And a veteran player is going to need like a real car. And I'm not talking about a smart car. I'm talking like a real car with bells and whistles, electronic Tesla type stuff. So it all depends who's wearing the number. So I don't know about this wide receiver, how established she is. I admit it to you. I will not be the guy who pretends I know a player when I don't. So no matter how established or unestablished he is, he's going to give up 12. Tom Brady will wear it. And guess what? TB12 will be just fine. Because the people who wear TB12 and use TB12, and when he grows TB12 into an industry, it will not be related to the Patriots because if I'm the Patriots, I'm not giving him the right to use my copyright, my basic, my, the, my logo. Not going to let him do it, even if he were a goat for us with six rings. So I don't think it impacts the TB12 brand at all. Tom Brady is a brand no matter where he plays, New England, Los Angeles, Tampa, Miami. 
But what about the Bucks franchise value? Great question, a little more complicated. The Bucks franchise value to Tampa Bay Buccaneers, franchise value in the NFL is based on two factors. The first factor is the national revenue that is split. Be, be, for, with, be, the, let me, okay, here we go. Ready? Nothing personal. March 18th, 2020, take two. Word of the day, simulation. Simulation is the nothing personal. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do the whole show again. The value of a franchise is based on two things. The first one is each team's percentage of the national revenue pie. In NFL, that is a huge part of the entire value of the team. The TV contracts with Fox, with CBS, with ABC, all of those TV deals, the internet deals, the licensing deals, the streaming deals, the the direct TV red zone deals, all those, all that money goes into one pot. It then gets split 32 ways equally, whether you are the Cowboys or whether you are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then you get to the next part, merchandise. Every Tom Brady jersey sold online at NFL.com, the Tampa Bay Bucks get one thirty-second of it. Every Mike Trout jersey sold online, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, the Marlins get one thirtieth of that. So we root like crazy for people to buy jerseys of other people, not on our team. And on top of that, why is that even relevant? The Bucks, I am being told, thank you, that the Bucks have new uniforms. That does not matter. Because any uniforms sold online, like Tom Brady jerseys, those get split. Now let's talk about where local revenue comes into play. And why when your local revenue increases, the value of your franchise increases. Local revenue is the number of people who come to your games times the amount of money they spend in tickets, in food, in beverage, and in merchandise. FBM, food, beverage, merchandise. My favorite person is someone who is, has a beer in one hand, a soda in another hand, has a pizza under his chin, and on top of that has a jersey wrapped around his waist. Think about when you go to Disney World and all the people who have the Disney ears. Then they buy a picture taken by Disney on a Disney camera. Then they buy an autograph book to get autographed by a Disney character. Then they go get a hamburger and a character lunch. And then they get a fast pass. And then they get cold or they get hot and they buy a sweatshirt or they buy a tank top. That is all money that is spent in addition to the price of the ticket just to get in the park. So when you go to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, let's say that you spend $200 for your ticket, and by signing Tom Brady, I can now have $400 for that same ticket. That I am now able, because in that market there's supply and demand, and it's called price elasticity, which is an economic term that doesn't need to be explained except to say this. People will charge as much money as they can until you stop buying the product. We as consumers control how much money something costs. It's a fascinating concept, isn't it? Think about that. If we all stopped going to Tampa Bay Buccaneer games, everybody, and I don't mean because of the quarantine. I mean not because of the suspension of the season. 
I mean because everyone decides they will not pay the price that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are charging. I don't mean some people, everybody. Guess what happens? The price goes down. It will keep going down until people break rank. Breaking rank in a supply-demand elastic situation is when someone says, I'm with you. I'm not going to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game for $400 a ticket. I'm staying with you. They lowered it to $350. It was with me, everybody. Down to $300. Who's with me, everybody? Down to $250. Who's with me, everybody? Ah! Some guy snuck off and went to the box office. And guess what? That's the new price of the ticket is $250. So at some point, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can increase their prices, we've already seen they have a long line, whatever that means, for season tickets. It means nothing. It doesn't tell you how much money these tickets cost. It doesn't give you an idea of what kind of merch they're going to move with their new uniforms and putting Tom Brady on the back. They don't know yet. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise value could very likely go up if baseball, football, basketball franchises were normal companies based on revenue multiples. A revenue multiple means that if you're a company, let's say you have a company that makes garbage cans and you have a total of a million dollars of revenue and the garbage can business, people generally pay you four times revenue. That means you could sell your company for $4 million. But if I get my revenue up to a million and a half dollars, I can now sell it for six million. I only had to increase my revenue by half a million bucks, and now my company's worth two million more if I'm being paid four times revenue. In most businesses, there are revenue multiples. There's something called EBITDA multiples, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, blah, blah, blah. What it really means is that's another way to get a number, put a multiple on it, and charge a lot for your company. But sports isn't like that. In what world, in what world are the Marlins worth $1.2 billion? In what world? In the world where someone is willing to pay it. It's the ultimate supply-demand curve. The reason why franchise values continue to go up is because there's so few of them. It's such an exclusive club, and people are dying to get in. So if the Glazer family, who owns the Buccaneers, and by the way, they own either Man U or Man City. I get them both confused, but they own an English Premier League team. I think it's Manchester United. They don't need to sell the Buccaneers. But if they choose to, the franchise value will go up if their revenue goes up. Nah, not really. The franchise value will go up if its EBITDA goes up. No, not really. The franchise value will go up because someone will step up and say, I will pay $2 billion to own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, that's why their value will go up. It will not have to do with Tom Brady, who will have nothing to do with this team. Winning a Super Bowl helps your local revenue. It may, may help in that regard. But from a national revenue standpoint, do networks spend more money to show games when Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl instead of for the Patriots versus Tom Brady for the Buccaneers versus Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs? No, the broadcast rights are based on the number of people who are consuming the Super Bowl, which is the same whether it's Patrick Mahomes on the Chiefs or Tom Brady on the Bucks. Okay, daily coronavirus time. Now nah, I call it the update. Daily coronavirus update. <laughs> 
In news today on the coronavirus, Kevin Durant and three other members of the New Jersey Nets basketball team tested positive for COVID-19. It turns out that they were at a game where they were exposed to either the Lakers, the Jazz, or any one of the other 27 teams in the Professional Basketball Association. Players have been told to self-quarantine, and there have been players who actually have been told they can't even leave their apartment in the buildings in which they live. People are asking themselves, if Kevin Durant can test positive, why can't I? Wait a minute, I just read that off the prompter. That's the coronavirus update that Kevin Durant tested positive, and people are saying if Durant tested positive, why can't I? I, I shouldn't have put that in there. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't. Hold on. Okay, I'm putting on my glasses. Okay, I got it. Okay. In the daily coronavirus update, Kevin Durant has tested positive for COVID-19, and it doesn't matter. All of us should be under the assumption that we have it. If you're not practicing social distancing while listening to this show or watching this show, then you are the problem. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you're over 80, do it. If you're under 20, do it. Stop pretending that just because you're young, it's not going to matter to you. Because guess what? Here in the United States, we're following exactly what happened in Europe and Asia. And in Europe, young people are now getting sick too. So all of you cocky millennials and generation Bs, Xs, and Ys and generation 49ers or 69ers or whatever you call yourself, you have just a likely chance to get it. And if there's only one ventilator and there's someone who's 50 and someone who's 20, who's going to get it? Well, whatever. Forget that argument. My point remains the same. Be smart. MLB stood up. Oh, did I get in trouble. This was awesome. I went on the uh, Dan Lebitard show yesterday, and uh, and we talked about what teams are doing, and I mentioned that MLB and MLBPA giving $1 million to the coronavirus and to the workers, it's like Lebitard giving $10. It's actually not even like Levitar giving $10. It would be like a family who makes $100, $100,000 giving a $10 gift. Well, no sooner did the show end. Luckily, that one's live, so therefore there's absolutely record that I said what I said, and I would say it again. MLB stood up and said, ah, we're giving $30 million. Now we're talking. Every team will be doing $1 million to the workers. Now it's time to figure out the logistics of it. It's a good announcement. It was a good start by baseball who has had two left feet. With all due respect to Daniel Day-Lewis, Academy Award-winning actor. My left foot is the reference there, which I know you know. Yeah, actually, you probably don't, but you should. It's a great movie. Two left feet is an expression when you're just not on top of it. They announced late, suspending the season, suspending spring training, delaying for two weeks. We've gone through it. This was a good announcement, not late at all. What I wanted to hear out of this announcement is, hey, every team has agreed to give $1 million to workers who are missing paychecks because of the delay in the season. Now tell me how. Now tell me how. The problem is the how depends on every team. Do you know the Marlins on opening day when we would draw 35,000 people to the stadium we had to have a couple of thousand concession workers. On day two, when we had 5,000 people, it's down to a couple hundred. So the couple thousand hourly workers would only come and they'd only work on, day, on event days that were 20,000 plus. 
But the majority of games, the upper deck's closed. It's 20,000 or fewer. The number of hourly workers who are working is much fewer when the attendance is down. So are we going to impute an attendance on these teams? Are we going to say, let's assume that you are drawing what you drew last year, which is a very tough assumption to make this day and age. Let's assume a sellout. And then what, once the assumptions are made, how do we split the million dollars between the people who work by the hour, whether it's the police, whether it is the concessionaires, whether it's the security people, the ushers, the ticket takers, the, the supervisors, the day of game employees, the people in the costume race, like George Washington, the people in the sea creature race. Oh, yeah, what about the, oh, yeah, they all got fired. No more sea creature race. Sorry, guys, my bad, we came up with that. And this is not me being bitter. I was just thinking, hey, that's another thing that's gone. Hey, good job, four more hourly workers, <laughs> gone. So how do we decide exactly what to do? There needs to be a uniform way that teams do this because there are unions involved, there are people involved, a lot. So what's interesting is that baseball came out and said, we're doing this for hunger. We're doing this to help with all the kids who are missing meals because public schools closed. Does that mean an hourly worker who does not have a kid, right, in school, that they're not eligible to benefit from any of the money the club is giving? These are serious questions that deserve serious answers, and we don't have them yet. And I'm okay with it if you don't have it. It's like the government today saying that there's going to be two weeks pay given to all Americans. What does that mean? How do they have everybody's address? I'm going to go back to the NBA. I want to talk about that for a minute. But how do they have, like, my address? I don't know. Do they go for taxes? What about people who don't pay taxes? Do they not get the two weeks pay? What if you just do it by Social Security number? There are people who don't have driver's licenses. Forget Social Security numbers. I'm looking at five or ten people working at CBS who are sitting six feet apart. They've moved like five times since CBS HQ opened two years ago. How are we going to find them? These guys deserve an extra grand. I just don't know exactly how it's going to work. So answers would be good before promises. Don't promise something until you can deliver it. The NBA did something very quietly, and it's not getting a lot of attention, but we're going to give it a lot of attention because this is nothing personal. The NBA has decided in a fit of brilliance that they are going to double the line of credit that is available to each team. I want to explain to you what that means very briefly. The NBA, like every other team, has something called a league-wide credit facility. A league-wide credit facility is like going to the bank and borrowing money and giving that bank collateral. And what the league does, it gives collateral of all the money that it gets in nationally. So let's say the national TV deal. So let's say these networks pay to broadcast NBA games. They put that money into a separate account and they use that as collateral and the bank then lends money to each of the 32 teams. Then the 32 teams who are owned by 32 men, I think there could be some women, I think it's mostly men, they use that credit as debt, meaning they borrow that money and they use it to fund losses if their team is losing money or they use it to fund building an arena if they need to put money into arena or they use it for myriad reasons. 
It's not a myriad of reasons. Whenever you read the word myriad, M-Y-R-I-A-D, people use that incorrectly. It is myriad reasons, not myriad of reasons. So teams would use this money for myriad things. What does that actually mean? Let's put it in numbers. If you've got a, uh, let's take a team that you may have heard of. Let's say that they're building a ballpark and that they need to put in $170 million, round number, say $200 million. In order to get the $200 million, they are going to go borrow that money. When they borrow it, they are going to use the collateral. They're going to get as much from the league as they can. NFL does this when they build stadiums. There's an NFL stadium fund. That is a fund that lends money and helps build stadiums for NFL teams. So I'm going to go borrow that money. During this crisis, if I want to keep paying my employees and I have no revenue coming in, all I have is deferred revenue, meaning I expect we're going to play games. I expect when we play games, people are going to buy tickets. It's like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a ton of deferred revenue. They believe that people will come and watch the NFL play because Tom Brady will be a Buccaneer. So they want to go ahead and borrow money now in order to pay bills because they know they're going to get the money later. The only problem that ever happens is when you borrow money now and then you can't pay it later and that's how you lose your house. That's how you go into bankruptcy. That happens in the real world to people. It very rarely happens to organizations, but it's not impossible and it will never, never say never. It is incredibly unlikely that it will happen to a league. So the league, unless there's an entire economic breakdown, so the league goes out and borrows money. They give teams the ability to have more money available so they can cover losses by that because the NBA season is suspended. They take those that, that money, and they're supposed to pay their expenses, which include workers. The only problem with this philosophy, and it's not a major problem, but the only problem with it is what happens when there is a team that simply cannot afford to pay the league back. Well, all that happens is you're forced into a sale and every team is worth more than what its debt is, which means no team is underwater the way your house may be or your apartment. Teams do not go underwater. There is not ever enough debt on a team that there's so much that if you sold it that not every dollar of debt would get paid back. So if an NBA team has $400 million of debt, there is no way that there's any team selling below $400 million coronavirus notwithstanding, forget about any pandemic, it doesn't matter. And if an NBA team can't sell below 400 million, we've all got much bigger problems than that. Okay, today is uh, day three of the ML Beer Challenge. I don't know if you can tell, it's beginning if you're watching. Not really, I've got like an eight o'clock shadow. What we said is, please grow your beard. We're gonna grow it, me and Coca until MLB has opening day. But on top of that, we're giving away $1,000 a day for these first 30 days to a different baseball organization, to their community foundation, where they can use that money to help the problems of others that we've just talked about. The second 70 grand will be given locally in South Florida. But right now, we are still going through the first 30 days. You can tell if you're watching. If not and you're listening, you can't tell, but I'm gonna make the noise right here. Can you hear that? Can they hear that? It's, I, I am literally touching my beard to the microphone. It's just sort of a little growth. So who are we up to? The Baltimore Orioles. Baltimore Orioles. Oh my God, do they stink. 
Literally. They're so bad. They're offseason. So bad. Their chance of losing a hundo again. Guaranteed. The only way the Orioles don't lose 100 games is if we don't play 100 games, which is really what's going to happen. So the Orioles got lucky. But let me tell you a story about the Baltimore Orioles. This is a, uh, a true story. For all of you Orioles fans who don't like Peter Angelos, and that's every one of you, I want to bring you back to August 1993 when I was sitting in the Southern District of New York in a courthouse. It was about 1,010 degrees. Had sunscreen on. The lights in the courtroom were giving me a tan. Sweating through my button-down shirt. I had just finished law school at Cardoza School of Law, affiliated with Yeshiva University in New York. And I was in a bankruptcy court. Apropos, two words, French. Apropos of bankruptcy, the Baltimore Orioles were bankrupt in 1993 and were being sold. Wait, don't fall for that. It's not true. What is true is that the owner of the Orioles was a man named Eli Jacobs. Eli Jacobs was bankrupt, and Eli Jacobs' creditors went to court to make him sell all of his assets. One of his assets was the franchise called the Baltimore Orioles. The court made Eli Jacobs sell the Orioles, and when you're bankrupt, it goes to the highest bidder. So the Baltimore Orioles went to an auction, an honest-to-goodness auction. And the reason I was there is Jeffrey Loria... Everybody in Miami and Montreal, your whole world would have been different today. I would argue for the worse. If Jeffrey Loria had bought the Baltimore Orioles in 1993, because I didn't work for him then. I was just out of law school. I hadn't even started my business in Europe. I hadn't even gone to Wall Street yet. Nothing. This was six years before. I just went because I was fascinated. I was fascinated with the process of what he was going through, Jeffrey Loria, to buy the Baltimore Orioles. Fascinated with the work he did with his investment banker named Joel Mayle as they worked to figure out a way to raise the money, put partners together, and buy what was going to be the franchise record, the largest sum ever paid for a professional sports team. You're all talking about the billions of dollars? In 1993, that's only 27 years ago. 173 millions for the Orioles was the largest amount ever paid. But in that auction room that day, we were all in a room. There was a judge named Cornelius Blackshear. He puts the gavel down. He looks at the group who are the bidders. It's Peter Angelos in one chair. It's Bill DeWitt, the owner of the St. Louis Cardinals today, in another chair. It is Jeffrey Loria, the owner, in another chair. And it is another guy named Gene Fugit, may, his re may he rest in peace, who was an African-American owner of the Beatrix Food Company, trying to become the first African-American owner in professional sports. Bidding starts $140 million. It's like an auction. All of a sudden, pause, silence, sidebar, meeting. I'm looking around. I go to a back room with Jeffrey. I was just a, I was 25 years old. I didn't talk at all. I was listening. What was going on is that Peter Angelos and Bill DeWitt were joining forces because Peter Angelos was a local Baltimorean and baseball wanted a local Baltimorean to get the team. And Jeffrey was a New Yorker. Meanwhile, 
He wasn't going to move the Orioles. Back then, the Orioles were in a new ballpark, Camden Yards. They were doing great. Bill DeWitt and Peter Angelos combine with Peter Angelos to become the owner of the team and run the business and Bill DeWitt to run the baseball side. There was no way that was going to work. I only wish I knew then what I knew now. I only wish I had 18 years of experience because I would have laughed at that. Of course, Peter Angelos wouldn't be able to work with Bill DeWitt. Not a chance. But they bid 150, Jeffrey 151, 152, 153, Fugit, Beatrix Holdings, pass, pass, pass. Do you know the rule in poker? When you pass five times, you're out. He kept passing. He passed like 14 times. Back and forth, Angelos, Loria, Angelos, Loria, 149, 150, 51, 52. It is going up. People are losing their minds. The Baltimore Orioles are going to be worth $150 million. It's impossible. The numbers don't work. Jeffrey's financial advisors told him this can't work at these numbers. Peter Angelos' advisors said to him, there is no rational reason that you can pay $160 million for the Baltimore Orioles. Jeffrey goes back. He gets his group together. They keep going. 161, 162. Angelos will not stop. Jeffrey goes up by 100 grand. Angelos goes up by a million. Then Loria goes up by a million. Angelos by a million. It gets to 170 million. The investment bankers have passed out in a pool of their own sweat and vomit. They cannot believe that Angelos and Loria are having this basic ego match about who's going to get the Orioles. We don't know where the money's coming from. He doesn't know where the money's coming from because we don't have the banks lined up to, to go this far above where we thought it would be. The most was going to be $150 million. Suffice it to say, 161, 62, 63, 64. All of a sudden, it gets to 173. At 170, we had told, and I was just there listening, so it had been told to Jeffrey by his banker, that 170 is your highest bid. You cannot go higher because you will not be able to close. You will not have the money to close, period, end of sentence. And if you get awarded this, like in any other auction, you've got to close because you're going to own the Baltimore Orioles. 173, Loria bids. 174, Angelo says. Loria stands up and says, good luck, Peter. And Peter Angelos owned the Orioles for 173 because one of the 174 went to legal fees, court fees. So it really was 173 for the Orioles. And that's the story of how Peter Angelos got the Baltimore Orioles. And Jeffrey Loria ended up sitting on the sideline from 1993 until 1999 when he bought into the Montreal Expos. And then, as they say, the rest is history. And the greatest thing about that is when we're going through and we're looking at Peter Angelos and he's looking at Jeffrey. They look at each other and they sort of wink and they're doing this in the middle of the courtroom, right? And the judge is putting the gavel down. Peter Angelos looks right at Jeffrey Loring and says, hey, this was just business. It was nothing personal.